Let's go to that passage, James 1, 19-21. If you have your Bibles or phones or whatever you use these days, take it out. Let me turn my clicker on here. There we go. And we'll read it together. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. All right, let's pray this morning then we'll launch into that. Father, uh, to be humble before you and able to receive what comes from you is truly a great gift. Lord, uh, this passage talks about things that we wrestle with, things that are in the daily grind, uh, the stuff that corrodes and gnaws at our soul. And as we, we go into this morning, um, most of us are very familiar with this verse. It's not like, aha, I've never heard that before. It's going to be more of a reminder and walking down uh, the, the conversation you've probably had with us, uh, whether it's a short time or a long time, and some of this will resonate. So in the place where it resonates, I pray that the conversation with you continues and that you can highlight things by your spirit. And we give that to you with great hope in your name. Amen. All right. So know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be in the first thing that's listed there is quick to hear. All right. James here is specifically pointing out to the idea not just of hearing the Word of God, but actually uh, being quick to hear the Word of God. And if you think about Jesus when He spoke, one of the famous phrases that Jesus often used was this one. Let him, he who has ears, let him hear. Right? In other words, there's some responsibility on our part to actually try and listen. To actually pay attention. To actually cue in, link in, lock in, and concentrate on what God is trying to communicate to us. And so the scripture is always be quick to hear. Be, do it fast. Um, the Bible has a lot to say both about hearing and listening. Uh, the book of Hebrews would echo this same sentiment as James does here when it says in Hebrews chapter 3, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and notice it's talking about the Holy Spirit being the author of this, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And of course, that's going back to the desert wanderings with Israel, right? The inference is that when God speaks, be quick to hear what he has to say. Again, there's a vast difference between hearing and listening. Being quick to hear implies that I am listening. I am eager to hear what he has to say. The opposite of which is that when he speaks, I harden my heart and then do not hear or want to understand what God's trying to say. If we harden our hearts, God will stop speaking and then the words of Amos will be fulfilled when he declares to the prophet Amos and says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of God. Right? There's a lot of kinds of hunger, right? There's a lot of kind of deprivation. There's a lot of kind of things that we deny ourselves or that are denied to us. But the Bible says that one of the worst ones is uh, having 
a famine for the Word of God. Where God is no longer speaking. Where He shuts off the tap and says, all right, you don't want to hear from me? Then I will concede and you will not hear from me. And then when you want to kick that back on, it doesn't kick back on. The Bible calls that a famine for hearing the words of God. And the scary idea here is that if you tell God to stop speaking to you, either as an individual or a nation, He may just do so. And it's a disastrous kind of famine. I think we would recognize that that's part of our problem right now is that God no longer gets an audience in our country and so we're left to our own devices and the results are disastrous. I don't want to even need to have to chronicle the stuff that's gone on just in the last six months. So the admonition to be quick to hear, in other words, jump on it, uh, when you sense God is speaking, be quick to hear what He's saying. Proverbs 13.13 13 says it this way, Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. And knowing how critical this is, James, in a brilliant, pithy, kind of anti-statement, flips the illustration, takes the opposite tack, and then exhorts us not only to be quick to hear, but also then slow to speak. It's an old cliche, but it's still worth repeating and remembering that God gave us two ears and one mouth. Right? Therefore, we should be twice as quick to listen as we are to speak. Unfortunately, for most of us, we're much quicker to speak than to listen. And all of this is in connection with the Word of God. Let me give you two thought-provoking reasons why we should be slow to speak. If you're saying, well, yeah, what's with that? I, I just like to let it fly, right? Why, why should I restrain my vocabulary and rein myself in? In Matthew 12... Jesus says this, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So if you're asking why, reason number one would be, we will have to give an account for every careless word we've ever spoken. Now stop for a second and just think through your life. If you're over 40, you're already in trouble. Right? If you're under 40, you just don't know you're in trouble. Right? I don't know about you, but I don't even need to go to reason two. I'm dead to rights on this one alone. Right? I have to admit, as I look back over my life, that often, often, unfortunately, I have been careless with my words, and to think that I will have to give an account for that shudders my bones. Just, whoa. Right? Just, whoa. Right? If that's not enough, the second reason uh, follows parallel to it. Slow to speak, reason number two. We will either be justified or condemned by the words that we've used in our lifetime. That's quite sobering if you think about it. You're saying, how will God know? How will God uh, be able to know whether I'm in Him or not? And it'll be our words. You know that scientists now have figured out that things like walls and rocks actually record things? That the vibrations and the words and that kind of stuff actually leave an imprint? So just think if that can all be pulled back. Of course, God doesn't even need rocks or walls, right? He can just play the recording. He 
He's got a pretty good memory, in case you hadn't noticed. And so, these two should give us pause. I think, actually, this may actually be self-reflective on James's part, as he was probably guilty of saying some pretty harsh things of and towards his older brother Jesus back in the day, and he was sobered by this. I mean, can you imagine? Man, I was Jesus' brother, and I said that to him? Ah! Right? Right? You know how brothers talk to brothers, right? Is this always, buddy, you're so awesome? Is that how it goes? No. Right? And remember this. He's saying this to people who are under pressure. And under pressure, we tend to blurt things out that we otherwise would not say. At least we'd hope not out loud. Right? Proverbs 10.8 says it this way, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but the babbling fool will come to ruin. Proverbs 17.27 and 28 says it this way. It would coach us. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Right? So there's uh, exhortation there to hold up our words. So we are to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and the third one, always comes in threes, slow to get angry. You've probably heard this thing that when we get angry, we give away parts of our mind that we can ill afford to lose. Right? And thus it is with anger. Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. In Proverbs 29.11, it says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And the thought this morning... Why should we be slow to anger? And I want to answer very simply. Because God's slow to anger. Have you ever thought about that? We read it up on the scriptures that John had between the songs this morning. It says that God is slow to anger in Psalm 103. It also says God's slow to anger in another place that we value very highly. Uh, we have a wedding in our household coming up. And uh, weddings often... 1 Corinthians is read, right? It's known as the love chapter. And in his love, it says that God is slow to anger. How do we know that? Well, it reads like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. And it's not easily angered. I've always liked that one. The one that comes after it is he doesn't keep a record of wrongs. I've always liked that one better. Okay? (laughs) But he's not easily angered. And since we're to be like God, we're to be slow to anger as well. There are many reasons why we should refrain from anger, but one uh, James gives as the chief reason here as he's talking to us about anger and... um, Whoops. There we go. Why we should restrain a spirit of anger. James says, For the anger of man does not produce, or another translation says, it does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And that's, that's a hard thing for us as humans because a lot of times when we want to seek justice, we think we have to get angry so that we can seek justice. And that doesn't work that well. God says your anger will not produce or accomplish my righteousness. Uh, Proverbs fifteen eighteen says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger 
quiets contentions. It is both ironic and fitting justice, I think, that I composed this message out at Lake Retreat Camp this week. For it was on those very grounds that I was taught this lesson in an incredibly humbling way. And I thought I should do that again here this morning. So let me take you back to 1988. Some of you were alive back then. I was uh, at that time youth pastor at North Shore Baptist Church and I was one of the key speakers during that era out at Lake Retreat. And, uh, and so we were going to do this camp. It was summer camp. And I was going to do the morning sessions and my buddy Ron Mars was going to do the evening sessions. And, uh, and so they called me up about a month and a half, uh, a month before the camp and said, hey, Steve, Ron's come down with mono. And he's really sick. And he's not going to make camp. Do you think you could do, since you've been working with him and working on the outlines, uh, do you think that you could do the evening sessions as well as the morning? And I said, yeah, I can do that. Little recalling, we have bad, you know, Israel had a bad idea of remembering history. I had a bad idea of remembering history because right before that, God had gotten on me uh, when I was, of all things, trying to have a quiet time. He interrupted my quiet time and told me I had an anger problem. And I told him, no, I don't. And I went back to having the quiet time. All right. And then he came back again, interrupted my quiet... It was really annoying of him to do that. (laughs) Interrupted my quiet time and said, no, you really have a problem. And I went, now I'm irritated. And I go, I'm not angry. Right? Isn't that funny how we... Yeah. Just blind. And I'm not angry. He goes, oh yeah, you are. Well, fine. How am I angry? Right? And he says, it's in your messages. It's how you talk to people. It's in your spirit. I said, I'm trying to get people to walk with you. What do you mean? And he goes, no, you're trying to get people to do what you want them to do so you look good. And when they don't do what you want them to do, you get mad at them. Right? Blow your whole ministry up in one nanosecond. And I said, fine. Right? I don't know if you're like this, but fine. All right? Make you happy? I won't do any more messages out of anger. There. You good with that? Yep, I'm good with that. Awesome. (laughs) I had forgotten about that conversation when I told the camp I would do the messages, right? So I sat down, I took a tablet of paper. This is back in the days when you took paper, right? And I sat down, I started writing, and I got about three lines into my message. I didn't even get going, and I saw anger jump off the page, so I grabbed that paper, wadded it up, threw it over my shoulder, started over again. Would get so far, wad it up, throw it out, get it over again. I could not write the messages without seeing anger. It was so bad, it was like jumping off the page. I went to camp and I had an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper like this for 10 messages and there were three lines on it. Okay? I went to camp. I'm standing in the driveway of Lake Retreat. Many of you will know that scene. You've been there. There's the the cafeteria on the one side, and then you go up to Johnson Lodge. And um, I'm standing there. All these parents come to me going, Steve, 
We are so excited about this week. We have worked overtime just so we could afford to get our kids here. And I had adults come up, man, I took the week off of work because I knew you were speaking and you're my favorite speaker. And so I gave up my week of vacation so I could be at camp. And kids came, I brought my friends. Cause, and I'm standing in the driveway of Lake Retreat realizing I have just blown apart and bankrupted this entire camp. I went into Johnson Lodge, which I taught in all week this week, which is really ironic as I'm thinking about this. But at the time, Johnson Lodge wasn't used. It was an old lodge. It was kind of worn down, and upstairs were a bunch of bedrooms. They were dusty because nobody had used them for 15 years. And I went up into one of those bedrooms because I knew there wouldn't be anybody there, and I knelt down at a bed and wept. And I said, God, I've been an absolute idiot. I, I, I've, I've, I've bankrupt this camp, and everybody's gone out of their way sacrificially to get here. Please don't let the camp crash. I, I deserve it fully. But don't let the camp crash. I mean, honor the prayers of parents. Honor the prayers of people who are praying for this camp. And, and I'll make a deal with you. If, if you give me a thought, you give me a word, I'll, I'll work off of that. If not, I will just say, I'm sorry, I have an anger problem. And I don't have a message for tonight. You can go to your small groups. Right? I don't know if you've ever been in that spot. I hope you never are in that spot. Um, but it was uh, awful. I usually sit in the front row of that camp. I sat in the back, right? Sweating. I had literally sweat running. I actually had hair back then, but I had sweat running down. <laughs> Just about ready to cry, not knowing what to do with myself. And then uh, almost every morning or every night, the Lord would give me a word. And, and I'm pretty quick with Scripture, so I could put two or three together, and I would get up, and that's how I did the messages, right? Sometimes I did not get the message until I actually was walking up to the front to the, to the pulpit. Right? I want to talk about an adrenaline hit. Come on, word. Come on, word. Come on, God. Come on. <laughs> that, it's 10 feet away. Come on. You know, right? And, uh, and God, without fail, did that. When we got to the end of the camp, uh, there was a guy named Wayne. Wayne was a, a guy who had been a kid at camp, and he grew up through the kids' camps in high school and junior high, and now he's an adult. And he came... And he always came because I was his favorite speaker. And he says, after the last night, he says, Steve, can I talk to you? He goes, yeah, sure, Wayne. And he goes, look, I, I don't mean to cause offense or anything, but, but, but something's really different. I'm thinking, oh, man, it was that bad, right? And I go, what do you mean? He says, well, I don't know, but it's like you become Billy Graham or something, right? Kind of <laughs> off the... I said, what are you saying? He said, there's a difference. There's, you, you've always been my favorite speaker, but something was different this week. And literally I felt God tap me on the shoulder and said, see, your anger will not accomplish my righteousness. And so since 1988, that happened in the summer of 1988. Since 1988, that means this summer, coming around this summer, will mark 30 years. I went this week and stood in the spot where that happened. Okay? And just, poof. That was a tough one. Because I realized I was going to come here Sunday and share it. And I'm like, ugh. Right? <laughs> I've spent 30 years unpacking my layers of anger. I don't know if you've been on a journey like that. It's not a lot of fun. Right? I have quit actually asking how many layers there are to it. I've decided just to follow for 30 years, I've been trying to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to purge anger out of my spirit. Why? Because I've learned that it doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. 
doesn't get us there. You ever heard angry pastors yell and scream at their people? Often as guilty of the very stuff they're yelling at as the people are? Does that get us anywhere? I realized it didn't. I've also learned something else, which is even worse. What I had learned is that my anger was a symptom. You go, what do you mean? Well, if this morning, you know, that crud's going around. A lot of you, I've talked to you, you finally got rid of the cough, but that's been going around. Um, and if I said to you, well, if you, you, you had a cold or the flu this morning, we would know because you're coughing and hacking and right? And, you know, that's how, come on, that was pretty good. You could giggle a little bit. Gee whiz. And, um, you know, just kind of, but is that the actual cold or the flu? No, the actual cold or flu is a bug or a virus, right? You can't see that. And you can if you take a special instrument like a microscope. You can take a slide right? Right? And when you see all those little bugs and stuff, you can get mad and angry at the microscope and go, you stupid microscope, and chuck it out the double doors, right? Has that helped you? Well, no. You just got rid of the only thing that actually tells you what's wrong. And let's understand something. This is a spiritual microscope. All right? I don't care if it's paper. I don't care if it's electronic. It doesn't matter. This isn't a spiritual microscope. It tells us what's wrong with us. Right? It doesn't create what's wrong with us. It merely identifies what's wrong with us so that we can actually take corrective action. And so... When I was dealing with anger, I realized I had to deal with other things besides anger that were the underlying roots of it. And I, I want to show you this, uh, if you've not seen this. I've used it in church before, but it fits so well here, uh, I just want to do it again. Most of us uh, are aware of when we run into angry people, right? Uh, it's, it's not too hard to pick up if you're on the highway and someone's waving at you with a bird, you kind of know they're angry at you, right? And it is not hard in the office setting or at work or at home to know when somebody gets mad. Often, there is some kind of trigger that trips the anger, right? So we know not to say certain things around certain people. We, we know not to bring up certain topics with certain people. We know that um, we have to check it out first, right? Uh, when I was a kid, we always checked out the temperature with my dad, Right? when he was coming home, did the truck sound angry coming home or it sound okay, right? We tried to listen to the truck and see how it sounded because we could actually interpret our dad's anger through how he drove the truck. That's how good we get at this, right? But anger is uh, an out... That's a symptom that we see. Behind the anger, what's behind that? Often, uh, what's behind that is rights. I have a right to. For example, in road rage, what is it? I have a right to that five feet of concrete that that person just took from me. Now think about this. Do you own the road? Yes, I do. I'm a taxpayer. <laughs> but, but think about it. You're moving. You don't own that space. That space doesn't have your name on it. It's not earmarked for you. You don't park there in the middle of I-5. This is my space. Right? No. That, that's community property. Now some may cut off or do that, but really we don't own that space. So we have a lot of assumed rights and often our anger flares when our rights are violated. Uh, and With couples, uh, there's uh, 
I go through the seven battles of marriage, and one of the battles is loyalties. And loyalties are the unwritten rules that exist in your relationship that you don't know are rules. Let me say that again. Loyalties are the unwritten rules that exist in your relationship that you don't know are rules. And how, if you're a newlywed couple, do you find out about those unwritten rules? Well, almost always, somebody gets mad. Don't do that. Why? That. Why? Oh, we always do that. Who's we? No, we don't do that. What do you mean we don't do that? This is our house. Not in our house do we don't do that. Right? And all of a sudden you're going, what are we battling with here? Well, there's an unwritten rule. There's a law that we didn't know we crossed or violated. It has to be negotiated out. Behind the rights is pride. Right? God talks about pride a lot in the Bible. Have you figured that out? And he, he spends two-thirds of the New Testament telling us to love each other. Why? What does God know about us that we don't know about ourselves? We're not really good at it. We are prideful, stubborn, mule-headed. I mean, uh, right? We dig our heels in. We get ornery with our words, with our attitudes. And, and, and so... Pride becomes a big shield, but often behind pride is another layer, fear. When we really react, when we're really kicking, right? What are we kicking against? Well, behind pride, there's often a lot of fear. We're afraid of losing. We're afraid of losing stuff. We're afraid of losing relationship. We're afraid of losing money. We're afraid of losing, uh, you name it. We're, we tend to be extremely fear-based in how we operate. It's incredibly easy to operate fear-based uh, being a pastor. Because I have to worry about what all you think of me. Right? Then I have to worry about what God thinks about me. I, I've decided that I'll just go with God. It's a lot easier. Okay? But there can be a lot of fear there too, right? Then behind the fear is another layer of, of wounds or shame. Right? If you really get into a person find out why they're reacting, you find out there's a lot of hurt there. Right? And you unpack it and you start finding out, man, there were some things that really uh, have not gone well for them. But I found there was another layer behind the wounds and the shame for me. Right? But I think it's also true for us. And, and God pointed out to me what was behind my symptoms. This was going on in my life. You wonder, where'd you come up with that? That's me. Right? I didn't read your diary or anything like that. Okay, so if it has any parallels to you, that's purely between you and the Holy Spirit. All right? That's me. That's how it came up. And God pointed out that what was behind my symptoms, and it was simply this I had a purity problem. Okay? Not just sexual purity, purity problem across the board. Purity problem with my thoughts, purity problem with rage, purity problem with. I mean, I just had a problem. I entertained filthiness and wickedness, and it was staining my spirit. I grew up in a culture that was filthy and wicked, and it had stained my spirit as a boy. And that was my fuel. It fueled my rage, and it fueled my anger. And here's, here's where the real mistake was. I thought my anger was my power. All right? I thought my anger was my power. That's how I got things done. That's how I accomplished things. And I discovered it was the exact opposite. It was a sign of my weakness. It was a sign of my insecurity. It was a sign of my poverty. 
And my pride was doing a really lousy job of covering it up. Right? And that's why James follows up with this next piece. Did you get the pieces tied together here as James does it? Oops, there we go. Oh, hang on. Therefore, put away all filthiness and ram. Now remember what he said. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry, for the anger of man does not accomplish or produce the righteousness of God. And what does he say there? Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let God change your spirit through the power of the word. Last week in verse 18, James pointed out that he, Jesus, chose us, uh, chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of a first fruits of all he created. Now in verse 29, he exhorts us to get rid of all filthiness and rampant wickedness and to receive what meekness, read here, humility, not weakness. I always read meekness as wimpy, weak. That's not what it's saying. It's talking about humility. Receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And this week, sitting out at Lake Retreat, I had a chance to relive 30 years of lessons on the exact spot that God had so clearly spoken to me. That my anger would not produce His righteousness. And I've taken the risk to share my story with the hopes that it will impact your journey as well. For I doubt very seriously that I'm the only one who has struggled with or battled this problem of anger. If you watch the news... Right? There's a lot of murder going on in our world. We've just had the shootings in Florida. We've got the mob. We've got gangs. We've got all the kind of stuff. Where do 80% of all murders occur in America? Do you know? Yeah, it's in the home. Okay? It's in our homes. Do you think there's anger in Christian homes? At church, we're here and we smile. We're good and we're pretty. We're cool. We're dressed right. We look good. But is there... Anger in our homes. And it does a lot of damage. That's what God's trying to tell us. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to get angry. Anybody else need to repent besides me? Well, I'm actually going to give us a chance to do that this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. John, if you're back there with the gang. And um, we're going to pray in a few minutes. But, but when we go to prayer, I'm going to ask that you not look around and see who responds. I'm not even going to look, all right? I just want this to be an opportunity to respond. That if um, I want to have a positive opportunity to respond to God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, all right? So uh, if this message is an actual word of God to you this morning, and you heard that voice of conviction from the Holy Spirit, I want to give you a chance to respond. I don't want you to just say, oh, awesome, and then walk out. Right? There's got to be a place where you say, yes, God, I heard you. Right? We're talking about being quick to hear. If he spoke this morning, it does no good to walk out and say, well, whatever. What was the message on? I don't know. It was good. Uh, right? No. No, it's a, we, we need to respond. There could be at least four things that we could respond to this morning. Let me give you the four I came up with. Number one, God, I know I'm slow to listen instead of being quick to listen. I've been dragging my feet, plugging my ears, and I'm practicing selective hearing with you and pretending I haven't heard you. 
la, 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 right? I've been avoiding your word and the conviction it brings. I don't want to hear what you say. I have to repent. I have to re-soften my heart. I have to reopen my ears again. That may be a place where you are. The second place might be, Father, I'm just too quick to speak. I need to restrain my tongue. My mouth is out of control. I shoot my mouth off and I've refused to let your Holy Spirit restrain it. You ever been there where God says, don't, 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 don't. And once it's out, can you pull it back in? No, right? God, help me catch it on the, on the top. I'm mean with my tongue and I'm hurting people with it and it needs to stop. The third way that you could respond this morning is, I'm, God, I'm quick to anger. I can relate to Steve's story. And it's staining the people around me. I need to help flush anger out of my spirit. I, I'm critical. I'm caustic. I'm negative. I'm fearful. I'm reactive. And I'm acting like my tood isn't a problem between you and I or others. And I'm staining my relationships and I'm leaving a verbal debris field all around me. And I've got to knock it off. I know you've been talking to me about it. And the fourth way that you could respond this morning uh, if you heard the Lord would be, I'm morally impure. Yep. I'm harboring filthiness and wickedness in my heart and I need to repent. I know if I cherish iniquity in my heart, you will not hear my prayers and I can't pet my sin. I confess at its heart it's idolatry and I'm in real danger of losing my first love with you. I desperately need to be washed and cleansed by the power of your shed blood on the cross and I, I need to repent and turn. Please grant me the grace to do so. So let's go to prayer, right? You and God. You and Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit speak. If one of those four resonate with you and you sense God underlining it with the conviction of the Holy Spirit and it's your desire to acknowledge your need and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, then I want you to symbolically say that by standing. I'm going to give us a minute. Who needs to stand? You know, Father, it wasn't easy. Going back to 1988, I was actually embarrassed as I stood on that spot and just realized how stinking inappropriate I had been. I'm sure my friends can relate to that as well. That's why we're standing today. It's a clear word from James. It's a good word from James. I think 
he probably wrestled with some of the same stuff and that's why he wrote it. We don't need a holy moment, God. We need a holy life. Only You can give us that. Forgive us of idolatry and forgive us of wanting other things more than You and forgive us for vomiting our anger all over other people. Help us learn Your balance and Your restraint. This morning we stood, Lord, because You said that we could come to You and You said that You would forgive us and that You would wash us. This isn't guilt. This is appealing to You as a Father because You're a good dad to do what a good dad does. And good dads discipline their children and bring them back to what's important. This is a bring back moment. Bring back to what we should have been about. Bring back to who we should be. Bring back how we should talk. We know the second we walk out these doors, it'll get tested. We're asking for a grace to accomplish that, God. And we give that to you as your hope.